Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the Essential Bible Studies Podcast. My name is Tim Young. And I'm Aaron McKee. Aaron, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming. And It's great to be had on. I think there's something very therapeutic about descending the steps to this basement every so often and having <laughs> into little our com- studio down here. <laughs> into your studio and having these little conversations with each other. Yeah. Uh, I will confess this time, though, that you initially had me scratching my head a little bit with the. Really? Yeah, absolutely. With the with the conversation that you wanted to have with me, because what we're really talking about here is the greatest commandment in Scripture. In many ways, it is the first principle of all first principles. It's something so broad that it really encompasses so much of what the Bible is about to its very core. Um, so thank you for that. Cause yeah. <laughs> No, wait a minute here. I don't think you realize. I may, I thought I told you this, but this is the inaugural show for our fourth season. Wow. Yeah. So we're just starting up here. The inaugural We're getting show. going again. Wow. Yeah, the inaugural show. <laughs> so extra I, pressure, you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I picked this topic was because mm-hmm. it is the greatest commandment of all. I thought, well, we really need to talk about this because I like the way you put that. It's the first principle of first principles, right? It's the essential of the yeah. essentials. In that way, so well, I guess I'm honored, yeah. <laughs> and it is in society. I think many have heard of the golden rule: you mm-hmm. know, do unto others as you would have done unto you. And that's that particular phrase is it's not said that way in that phrase, but it is bi- very biblical mm-hmm. because, as we saw in that scripture that you're reading, it said, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing in society, I think, is that there is just this kind of concentration on human beings and loving human beings based upon societal norms and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. God is not really in the picture. But when it comes to the, the Bible, there are two very important loves here, our love for God and our love for our brother. And Absolutely. There's this passage in 1 John chapter 4 in verse 20, which really kind of draws all of this together or makes a point of why these uh, two commandments are together, to love God and to love your neighbor. First John's missing out of my Bible all of a sudden. There it is. Oh, boy. (laughs) So in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Mm. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that's pretty plain, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) How how they're connected. And I love how you mentioned, you know, it does tie into so much about how society operates and the way we treat one another. And as if that really isn't, you know, enough of a reason to want to look into this commandment, this is also a commandment about love. And I'm quite certain that if we were to generally poll our audience listening in here and ask any of them to describe what love means to them, I'm willing to bet we're going to get a number of different answers. Oh, yeah. 
and of, of what love looks like. Because, you know, this is something that can vary across um, societies and cultures because love can look different to people. Somebody wrote a book a while back on love languages. Right. And the importance of knowing a love language in a relationship because people express love differently. You know, when Rose and I were first married, she expressed love in action. I expressed love in let me do what I want around the house. And uh, <laughs> you, you have to know each other, right, yeah. for a relationship to be successful. So I think the ambitious thing about our conversation here, Tim, is that hopefully we're going to address what love looks like in the relationship that we cultivate with God. I think hopefully we'll address how that love needs to be shown and manifest in our lives. And then a really significant question to ask is how does all of Scripture – hang on the simple principles that we've opened in that opening verse. Right, right. So that's all. Oh, <laughs> well, it might be best to go back to one of these passages where this is is brought up and it's a question that's put forward to the mm-hmm. Lord Jesus Christ about what's the greatest commandment. And one of the great things about gospel studies is you can compare the different gospels. And uh, this is in Matthew, it's in Mark, Mm -hmm. it's in in Luke. But you realize the one in Luke is a different context. Mm -hmm. It's very similar, but it's different. And it's tied to the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke, which we'll get to. But the ones in Matthew and Mark are different setting. There's different people speaking and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And just the outcome of that, I just think is interesting is that this was a very important question <laughs> that it's, Absolutely. it's it was brought up more than than once in scripture and and so we'll, we'll just read the Matthew 22 one so it's in Matthew 22 and verse 35 and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him teacher what is the great commandment in the law so he's referring back to mm. the law of Moses there right In verse 37, and he, that's Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is Mm. the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, Mm -hmm. you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, I don't know if when... I think about the law and I read the law. Mm-hmm. I I don't think about being full of love, you know, those kind of things. But I think really I need to adjust my thinking because mm-hmm. that's the way Jesus is reading the law. And he's reading it on a lot higher principle than the, the Pharisees and uh, mm-hmm. Sadducees were. And so everything in the law is fulfilled by love. That's actually something that Paul confirms for us in a couple of different places, but one of them is in Galatians chapter 5. Mm. And let me just turn that up here. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Uh, that's pretty incredible, right? So. We realize that all of the law, it's all principles. Mm -hmm. Everything that God required of us to do in the law can be just fulfilled just by loving one another. That's such a powerful way to refocus the way that we are taking in Scripture. I mean, even if you want to take a broader perspective on the law, 
and Paul references this in, in Romans 13. We don't necessarily need to turn there, but when you look at the core of what the law is, the Ten Commandments, you know, the, the iconic part of the law, the principle that we're talking about is shown there, isn't it? You have the first five commandments, which are all about ways that we are supposed to show love to God in our life. Right. And the last five, you shall not kill, you shouldn't commit adultery, not steal or covet. These are all ways about how we're supposed to love our neighbor. Uh, so you're saying the Ten Commandments kind of break down that way, love towards God and then exactly. love towards your neighbor. Okay, yeah. right. That's a powerful principle. Like all of a sudden, like when you say that, it's just mm. popping up everywhere and it seems to be just at the core and center of everything that Scripture is teaching us, everything that the Lord Jesus Christ exemplified in his mm-hmm. life. And so it's really important for us to now ask ourselves, what does this really mean? What does love look like to God? Because I think we have to be yeah. very careful here in society. We can kind of have this feeling in society about yeah. how men and women around us feel about love. Mm-hmm. Might, a lot of times it's more about lust than love. But yeah. we really have to, if we're going to get this right, we really have to tie it in with our our love of God or our love towards God. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think if we're really going to come to an understanding of what that love to God actually looks like, one of my favorite places to reference is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. I have it turned up, so I'll read it here quickly Well, that's where we're quoting from, right? Yeah. yeah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So uh, again, similar principle to some of the verses you were referencing earlier, Tim, but there's a few aspects I want to look at in this verse in Deuteronomy. And the first is starting with love. And Understanding love in the context of this verse is, again, as you were saying, it's so crucial because there's a lot of ideas out there of what love looks like, but this is going to address what love to God looks like. Okay, yeah. And that is pretty big ramifications because this is the way he's calling us to perceive him. A useful tool in Bible study can oftentimes be looking into the meaning of words. You know, when you think about it, the Bible has been translated, little fun fact here, into 705 different languages. Can you carry around that fun fact? <laughs> Little, exactly. Right, right off the top of my head. <laughs> 705 different languages. And so uh, you're bound to run into situations where something doesn't, a concept isn't conveyed absolutely clearly in English. And sure. I suggest that's the case that we're seeing here in the Hebrew word for love that's used in Deuteronomy. See, the word is that's used here is called ahava. And that's a fascinating word because it's really conveying two things at the same time. It is a noun and it is also a verb. And so it's a noun in the sense that it's conveying a feeling here. So when you look across the Bible to other places where this word is being used, it's used to describe a closeness in relationship. It's used to describe the close-knit friendship between Jonathan and David. It's used to describe the love of a father to his son and Abraham to his only child, Isaac. It's used to describe a relationship between Jacob and Rachel. So what Moses, I suggest, is conveying here is that when we love God, then it needs to be an intimate and a deep love. It needs to be something that's mm. holy from within, you know, something that is genuine and sincere. But at the same time, there's the other element to this word in that it's conveying an action. It's a verb, isn't it? Right. And so that clues us into something, and that means that love in the eyes of God requires us to show something. And that's a concept that we see not just present in this word, Tim. That's a concept that we see all throughout Scripture, isn't it, in the way that God wants us to show love to him. I think to verses like 1 John 3.18, 
which read, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So there's action required in that relationship. Uh, you think First John 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So it's meant to, to convey an action, isn't it, in showing this love of God? Yeah, you're so right, Aaron. And that's really interesting how it brings those two out together, both a noun and, and a verb aspect about love. So, you know, looking a little bit closer at what love means to God, really bringing out these key understandings, perhaps we should first of all note that it's hard to love something that you don't know anything about. Mm. <laughs> and very- like we brought, we brought up scripture that says you cannot see God, mm. but we know about him because we have the things written in the, the word, right? So to love God is to know God, mm-hmm. right? And to love his righteousness, to love, to love his commandments, mm. and to love his word. And that's how we get this love of God mm-hmm. going to solidified in us. It really comes from this passage because in Deuteronomy 6, right after verse 5, when it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, Mm -hmm. it says how we do that in the next verse. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I love the way the ESV puts that, right? Because it's almost like they're written or inscribed on your heart. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're just deep inside of you. They're engraved. So it's having the commandments of God engraved in our hearts, which is so important about this, his word and being true Mm -hmm. to his word. Now, there's really good cross-reference here that I found. It's in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5. I found myself going to 1 John a lot when we were studying this. Oh, I know. Because he really talks a lot about the love of God. I mean, he's the one who says that God is love, right, in this epistle, but... Here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, listen to this. He says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Wow, that, that's like really that. interesting, isn't it? So that's the connection between keeping the word, keeping the commandments, and the connection with the, the word of God. That kind of really goes back again to that context of Deuteronomy 2, because in that verse 4, back in Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. chapter 6 and verse 4, you get a very kind of interesting statement right before this, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm. So why does he tie that with loving God, right? Yeah, interesting phrasing there too. Right. So there was a lot of idolatry back then, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of things that would take their attention and they would worship other things. Mm-hmm. And so God is saying, I'm the only God. I'm God alone. And really, your whole attention should be dedicated to me. This is life, he's saying. This this is how important this is. And the struggle is just as true for us, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know what does Jesus say? He says, you cannot serve two masters. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or, you know, it, that idea, right? You cannot serve God and money. So yeah. we a lot of people loving money in this life. And the love of money is not consistent with the, the love of God, right? So Absolutely. we cannot serve yeah. both of them. And I, that's built in that Deuteronomy passage as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's such a valid point because there's so many things in life that want to pull at that attention and pull at that affection and have us dedicate that love to other things around us. 
you know, but as you were talking, a second point really came to mind in relation to that concept of love. I think it's a relevant point because there are, I suggest a lot of people in the world around us today who would suggest that there really isn't much action involved in being a follower of Christ. You know, a mm. phrase you might often hear is let Christ into you. And that's a very ambiguous term, right. whatever that may mean to you. And But really, as we come to understand this word, you see, and as you've been talking, there's a tremendous importance on not only doing the commandments, but knowing what God is requiring of us. Yeah. And really, that's, Tim, why I am a fan of your podcast, because <laughs> that's really what it's all about, well, isn't it? I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> it's about knowing the commandments and the essentials that that the word of God is conveying to us, the things that we have to orient our life around. And this verse is first and foremost, really. On the podcast, we're going to have some other shows that mm -hmm. talk about the importance of love, and especially like 1 Corinthians 13, you know, where mm -hmm. Paul says, if I speak in tongues, et cetera, and have not love, I'm like a clanging gong, like just mm. a tinkling cymbal <laughs> or something like that. So that's going to be an important section because in our understanding of what love is, it's not just works, but it's a mixture of this, knowing the word and using that to influence our lives to do these deeds that mm -hmm. glorify God. Because the Pharisees, when Christ dealt with the Pharisees, they thought they they knew the word, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But they didn't do it. And so he took them up short and he, he said to them, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and all manner of herb, but you have passed by the justice and the love of God. So they were all fine-tuned in the details of doing yep. these these works, but they, when they did that, they passed over the whole aspect of the justice and the and the love mm. of God, and that's an important thing for us to realize to get this balance, like you're saying, because when it comes to loving your neighbor, mm -hmm. it's equal to loving God, and, and loving God is loving His righteousness and loving yep. and hating iniquity. And that's a biblical passage. It's said of the Lord Jesus Christ that He loved righteousness and mm -hmm. hated iniquity. That's from uh, Psalm 45 and verse 7, which is quoted in Hebrews 1 verse 9. Mm. So that's something to think about because the second commandment that's yeah. like the first is actually taken from Leviticus 19 and, and verse 18. And when you go back there and you look mm -hmm. at that context, it's all about not hating your brother in your heart, but you're supposed to rebuke him and not suffer sin upon him. Mm -hmm. And that's what that passage means by loving your brother. Because if we see somebody doing something wrong, that's going to be a detriment to their spiritual life. What is love? Just passing over that, putting it under the carpet, mm -hmm. ignoring it? Or is it dealing with that problem so that they can walk in the commandments of the Lord and know the love of God perfectly? I think that's, that's the love of God. And I think that's something we have to be careful with and balancing our lives, right? Exactly. And that's the challenge for us to not superimpose our concepts of love over mm. the love of God when we look at stories and records of scripture. Yeah. Um, and that's always uh, an interesting balance. And it, it, what you're talking about here is a fundamental ability to, as we come to better understand what love means to God, refocus the way that we interpret the entirety of the Bible. I and, think I might've got off a little course there, but maybe we should get back to this idea of the all- Yes, <laughs> yes, because there are a lot of other elements of this verse, I think, that are practical to look at here in better understanding love in God. And uh, Tim, as you mentioned, it's that concept of all in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. It says, love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So I think it's really practical to say, well, what does that now look like in our lives? You know, easy enough thing to say, What? how does that look? And mm. 
think we often have a tendency in life, I'm going to speak for me, but I think I speak for all mankind, to say that when we read a verse like, serve him with all our heart, we may tend to think of that quantitatively. What I mean by that is we may think, well, what's the bar I have to hit? Right. Um, what's the true measure there? And you know, I, I'm going to suggest there's a little bit of harm in that perspective. And, and we see that in passages like Malachi 3 verse 8, if you want to turn there. We have this dialogue between God and the Levites, and God says to them, you've robbed me, Israel. And the Levites respond, they say, in what way have we robbed you? Have, have, have there been a withholding of offerings or, or, or the tithe that we've given you? And what does God say in response? He says, you should have brought all to me, he says. So in other words, you know, what's that really telling us is that the Levites were meeting this quota of 10% that they were supposed to give according yeah. to the law. But God's saying, you're still supposed to be doing more. There's more opportunity to give to me. And, uh, you know, maybe that was people around them suffering and in need. And we really see this same concept in the story of the, the rich young ruler, don't we? A man comes to Christ and he says, oh, look, right. at, look at all the things that I've done, mm. all the commandments I've abided by. Not one have I transgressed. And what does Christ say? He says, well, that's the wrong mentality. Give the last thing that you're holding on to. Give me all. That's the way that we're being encouraged to orient our lives. And that's a really valuable lesson for us because, you know, in life, I suggest we all have a tendency to develop the mentality that, you know, maybe we've given a lot to God. Maybe uh, as we read the Bible, we've met the apparent quotas. You know, you can go through scripture and check off things that you're doing well in your life. Maybe you're going to your meeting or your church on Sundays. Maybe you, uh, maybe you set aside amount of money every few months to give yeah. to people in need. But the reality could be that you're still holding on to things in this world that that make you feel good, that are hard to let go. And that's the story of so many people in Scripture. You think to the kings of Israel, Solomon, and, and these people who gave a lot to God on paper. Solomon consecrated a temple to God. But look at the things that were hard for him to give up. And that's not sufficient to God. He set the bar purposefully high that we're always pushing, always looking for opportunities to show this love to him in everything that we do. Wow. Yeah. We've talked about the love of God, what it looks like conceptually, but if we go to the, the second passage where this is talked about in Luke mm. chapter 10, and like I was saying before, this is actually a little different context with the same question being put forward mm -hmm. uh, to Jesus. It's very similar, like I was saying to the the other one, is that there's this lawyer mm -hmm. that stands up and you think, oh, oh no, a lawyer. <laughs> Here he comes. And we're yeah. right to say, oh, no, because it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, he was to put him to the test by asking this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So it's not, it's not a genuine question, really. He's trying mm -hmm. to trip him up. You can think about yep. people trying to gather together to try to say, let's let's just keep making him talk so we can find something that he says wrong, you know? Yeah, yep. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because the whole answer to the question is about love. Yeah. And that's not what these lawyers were showing, right? Mm -hmm. And they had this wrong concept of this commandment. But Jesus puts it right back at him. Mm -hmm. He says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he comes with the great answer in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So there's that justification of self. You see the and like mind of this saying, guy. Yeah. Trying to quantify it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if I do this, then I've got it. Yeah. It's not that way like you were talking about. Most people know the parable of the Good yep. Samaritan. Yeah. But it's interesting how it's tied to this very concept of loving God and loving your neighbor. It absolutely is. And Christ immediately, what does he do when he starts telling that story? He personifies the thinking of this lawyer in front of him. In the characters, in the priest and the Levite who walked by, it's these people who they were doing a lot for God. They were meeting the quota of what the law told them to do, but they were justifying reasons why not to show the character of God and the love of God to somebody blatantly in need. Um, so he's showing the hypocrisy of that thinking, um, how wrong it is. But you know, then he introduces this Samaritan, and I'd suggest that there are a few places in the Bible that show us just how clearly the love of God needs to manifest itself in our lives than the character of this Samaritan. We can talk at great lengths of all the elements here that are being conveyed, but we could talk about a few. We see first off that the Samaritan is a man willing to help a stranger. Yeah, He didn't know the man on the side of the road. He didn't know if this man knew God or loved God. It was the mercy that he showed to him was unconditional, wasn't it? It was a yeah. person in need. In the Samaritan, we see a man with mercy and forgiveness. You know, the Samaritans in the time of Christ were the dredges of society. You know, they were brought back in the days of Chronicles to occupy their land. So they were an affront to the people of Israel. They were a block between the promise that God said, this land will be yours. Yeah, there's a lot of prejudice there, yeah. And so this Samaritan, we can be certain, was vastly mistreated in his life. Mm -hmm. But here he is stopping to help a man who quite likely would not have done the same for him. Mm -hmm. So he could love his enemies, Uh, And that's a powerful principle. Christ advises the same to us. He says, what good is it if you love those who love you? Don't even sinners do the same. Right. So that's the bar that the love of God is calling us to. And you know, not just that, we see a formula for what love looks like here. It says the Samaritan looked and had compassion. So he was able to have empathy in the sufferings of people around him. And that's part of what love looks like to God too. But it wasn't just empathy. It wasn't just a feeling because then it turns into action. It says he went, he bound his wounds. He, he treated him medicinally. So that tells us that, you know, if all we ever have is feeling for people who are suffering in our life, but it doesn't manifest itself, then that's not fully the love of God. And, and just for the purpose of quickly looking through here, we see that he invests money in his neighbor. And I suggest him that's showing us that to show the love of God adequately in our lives, it means that we need to be willing to make investments in those around us to care about the things that they're going through. Right. There's so much more to talk about here. We could talk about, he says, to care for this man and when I come back. And what he's implying here is that he's not done. He didn't just help one and done. The love of God is something that isn't limited at a capacity of helping somebody once. So, so many things to talk about there. Yeah, it's very <laughs> powerful. Thank you for that. And uh Yeah, it really is uh, worth going through that in detail and seeing how beautifully practical this commandment is and how powerful it is and how it's tied to this commandment given to us back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses Mm -hmm. 4 and 5, and how that can be applied to our lives. That's really good. Just going back to the way it was put in Matthew, Mm -hmm. in the same thing when those the greatest of the commandments and the second like unto it were given. Jesus says that 
on these two commandments mm. depend all the law and the prophets. Now, that's mm-hmm. the ESV version. If you see it in the King James Version, they don't use the word depend, they use the word hang. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. most modern translations have the word depend, but the King mm-hmm. James uses the word hang. And if you look it up, if you look that word up, it literally means to hang. I mean, the King James has a very literal translation there, right? And I kind of like that better. I do too. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like if you cut that, everything's going to fall to the ground, mm-hmm. right? And the interesting thing is that this word, when you look at it, it's a word that's used about Jesus hanging on the cross. Wow. I really think that segues us perfectly to what I'd suggest is the answer to that question. Mm. How does all the law and the prophets hang on this simple, seemingly simple principle of loving God and loving our neighbors? And I'd suggest to him it's because Christ has been at the core and at the center of everything that we've really been discussing in our conversation tonight, hasn't he? Christ was a man who, for the entirety of his life, lived by the principles that we're discussing in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. He's a man who, for the entirety of his life, never saw love as something that he was necessarily obliged to show, but it was a willingness, a genuine, sincere willingness from the death of of, of his heart that he exclusively and willingly gave to his father with all his heart. Christ is a man who demonstrated his love in both feeling and action, both elements of that word in Deuteronomy that we talked about. You know, he never approached a situation of showing love in that quantitative thinking of that lawyer, never looking for the bare minimum, but he's always carefully looking for ways that he can show the love of God to people around him. And that looked like so many practical things in his life. It looked very similar to the example of the Samaritan we read. Like the Samaritan, Christ had compassion. We see that in the people he sat with, the sinners and the tax collectors, the rejected of society. He he cared for them and he loved them, didn't he? We saw it in his action where, like the Samaritan, compassion resulted in something and Christ would at time turn his hand and heal people, reach out and help them. We see his investment in others, always willing to say something that, that would get somebody to a better understanding of God. We see his forgiveness, where though betrayed by Judas in the garden, he hugs mm. him. Where on the cross, he says, forgive them, they don't know what they do. And of course, we see the sacrifice. You see, the overarching principle of the Good Samaritan, Tim, I, I suggest, is that that was a man willing to give for somebody. He gave his time, his yeah. effort, his energy, and it was unreciprocated. And that is the character of Christ on the cross. Yeah. Unreciprocated. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Yeah. And so that's why everything in scripture hangs on this ultimate principle. Because as one man perfectly lived these words and embodied them in every aspect of who he was, we have a hope and salvation to the world. He perfectly manifested the love of God. And that's just a powerful thing to think about in the the implication of what this verse is really saying to us, because it means to show it in our lives is to love like Christ's love. It's to see each other the way that Christ saw us. That's a powerful thing. And if you'll indulge me for one further point, I know we've, (laughs) we've been talking a long time, but I think it would 
be a missed opportunity if we didn't say that it only makes sense that we show this love in our lives. Because in the words of John, we love because God first loved us. And when we understand that that's who God is, God is this love, with that comes a powerful re-perspective of the way that we see him because it means that we can trust that love. It's the same love that that Joseph would have felt in the dungeon of Egypt. It's the same love that Daniel would have relied on in the den of the lions that David would have trusted in when he was running from Saul. So it's a love that gets us through hard times in this life. It's a love that we can be certain never abandons. And so it's in that principle that I really wanted to bring us to the words of Psalm 100 verse 5, one of my favorite verses in scripture. It's, uh, for the Lord your God is good. And indeed he is. That everything we've been talking about is the character of God. And it continues, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And that can be you and I, Tim, if we show the same love of God in our lives. That's a presence that we will always count on. And I think of no comforting thought than to leave on that, perhaps. That's a perfect way to end it. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughts, Aaron. And thank you for such a great kickoff to our fourth (laughs) season and uh, really impactful. I think I'm going to be thinking about this one for a while. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for the tea and uh, for the (laughs) nice conversation. (laughs) Bye-bye. Aaron and I hope you love the podcast. If you did, then why not show your love and rate us on your favorite app? Spotify just introduced the ability to rate shows. It's really easy to press that fifth star in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do your part in feeding those algorithms and Apple and Spotify will say, hey, maybe we should share this great podcast with others too. Our goal on the Essential Bible Studies podcast is to glorify God and to encourage others in their walk in Christ. Think about how you could use the podcast. It's really easy just to ask a friend or acquaintance, do you listen to podcasts? And hand them an Essential Bible Studies podcast business card. If you'd like to do this, then I'd like to send you one of our media kits to promote the podcast. Just get in contact with us at our website, www.essentialbiblestudies.org, or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook. Freely you have received, so freely give. The Essential Bible Studies podcast is brought to you by the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia, located in the countryside of lovely Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen.